You're listening to the serial podcast production of Hidden Things, written and read by Doyce Testerman. This is episode 14, brought to you by Kickstarter backer Craig Mead. Stage 3 Chapter 10 The waitress took their orders. The expression on her face said she didn't understand why Calliope was having a midnight meal with a homeless guy, but also that she didn't really care. From beneath his hood, Vicus glanced around the diner. This place would have worked too, he commented, if I'd had the right kind of key. Calliope nodded, although she wasn't quite sure she understood. That sort of thing, magic, that's normal? Nothing's normal with what we're doing, Vicus replied, his voice back to something like a lecture tone. Some of it is more common. Some, he produced the motel key from somewhere, isn't. He watched her for a second from the shadows of his hood, then pocketed the key. It's all knowing how the world goes together, what pieces fit where, then figuring out how to rearrange them a little bit. Without looking, he reached over and scooped up half of the individual jelly packets that sat in a bowl at the back of the booth and dumped them into a pocket. Or a lot, like we did tonight, but that's harder. He glanced up. I'm starving. Where's the food? Calliope looked around as well. Actually, she said, her voice suddenly very quiet. Where are all the people? The waitress was gone as were the two truckers at the front counter, the tall blonde woman huddling in a ragged denim jacket in a booth near the entrance, and the tired couple with the sleeping baby that had been sitting two tables over. The kitchen was quiet. Calliope turned back to the table, but Vicus was already standing. Run! He looked around the room, his expression equal parts hunter and hunted. For one electric moment, his haunted eyes reminded Calliope of a cheap, black velvet clown painting that had hung in an even cheaper burger joint her family had visited when she was a kid. Who? Run! Now! Without looking, his hands found Calliope's shoulders and he dropped his eyes to hers. Someone else either has the right key for this place or they don't need it. He nearly threw her, stumbling toward the front door and the jeep. Run! Eyes wide, Calliope ran. Behind her, she heard the fire exit at the rear of the building slam open and the wind come howling in. Over it, just barely over it, Calliope thought she could hear Vicus shouting something in a language she didn't know. He sounded desperate, and the wind sounded very much like laughter. Someone was standing just outside the doors to the diner, rock steady in the tearing wind that she could both see and feel. Unaffected by the sudden, violent flashes of lightning that had sprung up out of nowhere outside, Calliope froze, simply unable to process the shift things had taken in so short a time. The landscape outside was barren, stark, and monochrome in the lightning illumination. Inside, she turned. Vicus stood where she had left him, his right hand, gloved, extended away from him like a claw. 
His ridiculous feet were spread wide and staggered to brace against the wind that tore in from the back of the L-shaped diner, pulling at his coat and clothes like a madwoman. Every movable stick of furniture in the place was sliding across the floor toward the rear entrance, moving against the blasting wind and piling itself before the opening in heaps, like a warped replay of the sorcerer's apprentice. Chairs stood in a haphazard pile atop one another, heaped over tables that had turned themselves on their sides. And still, something was coming through, hurling the debris away. Calliope heard in the rising pitch of the wind the front door open behind her. She leapt back toward Vicus and pivoted, a tall man wrapped in a long black coat that muffled him nearly to his eyeballs took a few broad strides into the space and stopped. Slowly the door pulled itself shut behind him, and the volume of the wind dropped enough to hear the sound of crashing furniture, enough to hear Vicus's exhausted panting. A voice, thin and reedy like a sickly child's, came out of the crashing near the back door. But when, Calliope, thy loud harp rang, crash, in epic grandeur rose the lofty strain, crash, the clash of arms, the trumpet's awful, crash, mixed with the roar of... Calliope lost the rest of the recitation and the ripping and tearing that rose up behind her. She turned, ignoring the large man, and saw an orgy of violence that cleared a passage through the heaps of synthetic and metal furniture. Amid the wreckage stood a dusty brown old man no more than four feet tall, hairless, dry, and desiccated, with great watery brown eyes that had, with age, bulged in their sockets rather than sinking. His shoes, pants, shirt, and ragged coat were all a simple, unadorned black, and he gripped the twisted metal leg of a chair in a knotted hand that might otherwise have looked too weak to make a fist. The wind had died completely away. He looked only at Calliope, his mouth spread in a toothless smile as he spoke. The ardent warrior bade his courser's wheel, he continued in his crackling voice, and he turned his wet gaze on Vicus with something like pity. Trampling in the dust, the feeble and the brave. His gaze lowered, and he made a simple gesture. Calliope felt the air tense like a stretched muscle. Vicus flew to the side as though he were made of straw. The impact of his body against the painted cinder-block wall of the diner sounded like a baseball bat against a kneecap. He hung there for several moments. Then, just as suddenly, he fell to the floor, utterly still. The feeble and the brave, said the shrunken man in his onion-skinned voice. Truly, Lycus was both. He smiled the skin around his mouth crinkling like old paper. I suppose that would make me the ardent warrior. The old man turned his bulbous eyes back to Calliope, pivoting neatly on his heel and toe. Hello, dear. I am called Phagos. He executed a tight but shallow bow. I'm afraid I need a bit of your time. The storm outside had subsided as quickly as it had come once the fight was over. The tall, muffled man, still silent, had rummaged through the destruction and salvaged two reasonably intact chairs for Calliope and the one who called himself Phagos to use. 
These he positioned in the center of the cleared section where Vicus had been standing, setting them facing each other and adjusting both very precisely, even minutely, until he was satisfied, at which point he again withdrew out of immediate notice. Phagos pulled himself nimbly and easily into his chair, moving like a gymnast despite his age-ravaged appearance, and gestured for Calliope to take the opposite seat. His wizened face with its protuberant brown eyes was calm, confident, polite, in a slightly amused way. Calliope was slowly starting to hate him more than she was worried about what was going to happen to her. Have a seat, my dear. I'd rather go tilt your eyeballs and break your legs and kill you and cry and cry and cry. She blinked. Stand. Thanks. His head tilted, his face a mix of stern mocking and pity one might use on a disobedient but somewhat mentally handicapped child. Calliope, he drawled, please sit. An iron band ratcheted tight on her mind at the words, dragging her to the chair. Pulling against the compulsion as much as possible, Calliope grabbed the chair and dragged it back to her, turning it backward and straddling it, her back straight. From its original position, she would have been forced to see Vicus's body just to the left of the old gnome sitting across from her. From the new angle, he was merely a disturbing shadow on her peripheral vision. She tried to push any thoughts about that out of her mind and kept her focus narrowed down to her growing anger. Fagus's swathed assistant had started toward her as soon as she moved his precisely placed chair, but subsided at a negligent motion from the man's knobby hand. Fagus's eye ridge, as hairless as the rest of him, raised in mild amusement as she sat. You are, I trust, comfortable? Don't look at the pool of blood stretching out like little fingers along the floor underneath this. Calliope kept her expression cool. I'm not really interested in chatting with you, so why don't we cut to the chase? She glanced at the tall, shrouded man who stood to the side. You're going to torture me, find out what I know, and then kill me? Let me save you the trouble. Torture? Oh, goodness me, no. Fagus's wizened features twisted into a moo of distaste and gestured toward his companion. Poor Copro has no stomach for such things. Far too messy. For myself. He laid a hand on his narrow chest. I already know that you are sadly unaware of the realities that surround you. His face showed pity. That much, I'm afraid, is painfully obvious. Then why are we wasting each other's time? He leaned back in the chair, at ease despite the fact that his legs, neatly crossed, only reached the floor with the toe of one shoe. I would bargain with you. Calliope didn't even bother to frown. I don't have anything you want. He smiled and raised an age-thickened finger, waggling it in the air before him. Ah, very good. That is essentially correct, but allow me to amend your statement. You do not have anything I want at the moment. He widened his already staring eyes. I believe that might change. Calliope narrowed her eyes, pondering. You're the most powerful thing that I've seen since I've gotten involved in this mess. 
Oh, how you talk, Fagos said and smiled, tipping his head bashfully as though receiving a compliment. He blinked his eyes. Really, I am surprised. I was led to believe you were quite coarse. Calliope thought of Gluin's angry pig eyes and easily imagined the fat man selling information on her after they'd left his offices. Some people just bring that out. Phagos spread his hands, palms up. Hopefully we will have a more equitable agreement. I'm just trying to sort everything out, Calliope said, barely listening. See, if I'll eventually, maybe, have something you want, and if you want to bargain for it now, it's probably dangerous to you. The diminutive old man's smile vanished. Go on. Calliope kept her eyes on his, tilting her head slightly. What's to keep me from telling you to go fuck Copro over there, then going and getting whatever it is you think I'm going to go get, and hunting you down like any other rat bastard? Fagos's face was grim. I see I was not entirely misinformed as to your personality. Calliope stared, her eyes wide and hard, holding on to her anger. Some people just bring that out. Fagos tisked. I would certainly never let you leave this place were that your choice. Nothing is so valuable to me that I can't stand to see it destroyed. But I will most certainly not see it lost, or in the hands of such as you, which amounts to the same thing. So your bargain is whatever I might eventually get hold of that you find useful in exchange for my life. Phagos leaned a few inches forward, searching her face, then shook his head. I regretfully must acknowledge that that would be a poor offer for one such as you. He eyed her shrewdly. I suspect you might choose death simply to spite me. Calliope didn't reply and kept her eyes locked on the old man's face, her jaw tight. Phagos nodded, as though receiving confirmation. Obviously, I would have to offer a more tempting fare. He met her eyes, his gaze steady. Perhaps the life of your young Joshua White would be sufficient. The room seemed to tilt along its axis. Calliope's eyes felt painfully dry, but she could not bring herself to break eye contact with Phagos long enough to blink. Say it again she whispered. I have the means at my disposal to bring your lost young man back to you. Phagos's shoulders shifted as he gestured. I am offering that to you as a trade for certain hidden things as yet undisclosed or discovered. It is quite a generous offer. Calliope's eyes narrowed. Alive. Actually breathing, not some shambling dead thing or a ghost or any other little trick? Fago smiled. I consider your caution commendable. He again spread his leathery hands, palms out. I can bring Mr. Joshua White back to rosy-hued health, and not via some banal resurrection. I can make it as though what has happened never did. That service, executed on his behalf, is precisely and specifically 
what I am offering to you. He leaned forward, his own glistening eyes bright. As the late lamented Vicus might have explained, there are ways to slip aside, away from, through, or behind this mortal coil. He smirked. Or at the very least slip from one portion of the coil to another. Vicus himself dabbled at such things. It was, in fact, how we found you. Phagos shifted in his seat, his feet dangling. But I, I can fold time, Calliope. I know where your young man died, and I know when. I will take him around that point in time, once we conclude our bargain. A thin sliver of hope made Calliope's heart beat faster, despite her surroundings. She wrapped her arms around the back of her chair and leaned toward Phagos in turn. What do I have to do? Phagos made an expansive gesture. Nothing at all. He stopped, then raised a finger. Uh, that is not exactly true. You must continue on as you have. Pursue your quest to its fruition. I believe that will bring the thing I desire into your grasp. Calliope managed to smirk. Well, that's going to be difficult to do with a dead guide, genius. Phagos ignored the slight, frowning. Oh, do not be ridiculous. Vicus is a sorry guide in any case. He glanced over his shoulder. Or was, rather. He shook his head and drew himself upright. He has, I fear, been too long among your kind to be of much use. Adopted so many of your ways. Your false logic of violence, for instance. Sure, that's why you're the one that slammed him against the wall. He scowled. You managed to make your worth to me questionable through the simple act of speaking. It's a talent. She stood and crossed her arms. Prove you can do the stuff you're talking about. Phagos glanced at his companion. You certainly don't expect me to follow through on my side of the arrangement when you cannot do likewise. Goods neither seen nor inspected make a poor payment. Calliope shook her head, her movements slow and deliberate. No. Prove you can even do it at all. Doesn't have to be Joshua. Just do it. She pointed without looking at Vicus's still form. Fix that. Like Calliope, Phagos did not so much as glance in the direction she was pointing. You must be joking. Calliope merely raised an eyebrow. Phagos shook his head. What you ask is essentially the benefit of my logas, twice, for a single cost to yourself. He shook his finger again. I think you are trying to trick me. You're getting your money's worth out of this. He leaned back and folded his hands on his lap. Explain to me how this is. This is how you convince me not to spite you, Calliope said. Her eyes and voice were clear. You said you wouldn't let me out of here if I didn't agree to the deal. She leaned forward slightly, as if she were talking to a child. I don't need Josh alive if I'm dead. 
do I? Thagos watched her for some time without moving. Except for the wetness of his eyes, he might have been a dead thing left sitting in the blasted cafe for an age, long since dried to a husk. Finally, he shifted, destroying the illusion with the ease of his movements as he dropped to the floor and wandered into the corner where Vicus lay. Such a petulant request, my dear, Phagos said, affecting the air of a disappointed teacher. He seemed distracted for a moment, as though listening to a fainter sound in the distance, then turned back to her. We would have an agreement then, provided, of course, I can prove myself to your satisfaction. Calliope shoved her doubts to the back of her mind. Sure, yeah, I can't miss what I've never had, right? Phagos's toothless mouth curved into a smile that could never have been comforting or friendly. As you say, he murmured. Then, never mention this to your truculent companion. Why not? Calliope asked. Why not what? Bicus said from his side of their booth. Calliope could only stare. Finally, her eyes still wide, she managed to force out a reply. Um... Nothing. Daydreaming. Vicus watched her for a moment, his eyes narrowed, then turned to look over the sparsely populated diner. I'm starving. Where's the food? Calliope tensed, but nothing happened. Eventually, the waitress brought their orders. Calliope ate in silence. Joshua White pulls on his jacket as he exits a downtown skyscraper. The sun is bright, and he fumbles for his sunglasses with one hand, his cell phone with the other. He will be dead in six days. Callie, this is Josh. You don't need to call me when you get this. I just wanted to let you know that I'm going out of town for a few days on a case. So if you need to get hold of me, call. My signal might be crap most of the time, though, so leave a message if you don't get me, and we'll play phone tag. He glances over his shoulder and up at the building looming behind, wondering if the man he has just spoken to is watching the street. I'll call and let Lauren know what's going on so we don't have a repeat of the Seattle thing. See you soon. Be safe. He looks back up at the glass and steel of the skyscraper. There is no question in his mind that he is being watched, or by whom. There is also no doubt as to why, but Joshua tries very, very hard not to think about that. Red Rover, Red Rover, he murmurs. Send Joshua on over. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hidden Things Audiobook Podcast. This DRM-free production was made possible by the Hidden Things Audiobook Kickstarter backers and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 license. As always, watch out for the hidden things.